Welcome to Capital Stories. This is the podcast where we talk to real people about real issues and explore intersections of life and faith to encourage you in your personal walk with Jesus. Today on the podcast, we are going to talk about marriage. Kelly Preston from our pastoral team is interviewing Ed Peterson and Nicole Vibora, who are two marriage counselors, um, and just talking about talking about marriage. Yeah. Speaking of our pastoral care team, it's it's pretty often, like mm. more often maybe than not, that when they get approached for support, it has mm. to do with, with marriage, with marriage and, yeah. and trying to figure something out, whether it's a big deal or whether it's just sort of Lots the of everyday small, yeah. small, like, I, I want my marriage to be better. And that's, prob- that's yeah. true, right? No matter how long you're married, it's that relationship, right? That you always yeah. want to improve. It always that- matters and you always want it to be good and you always want it to improve. Yeah. And make sure it's like healthy. Right. So what I love about this interview is that there are so many practical ways to just in your everyday life, in your weekly life, Mm -hmm. like keep your marriage healthy. Right. It's a reminder in some ways of the things we know we should do, but we hear them and say, you're right, we should do them. And it's so nice to have professionals that are doing this every single day, seeing dozens and hundreds of couples saying, you know what? you know you should do it. And it works. (laughs) It's so encouraging, right? right? right. Talking to each other at the end of it, listening, learning, proactively spending the time. And then, and then they go there. They talk about the SEX. Yeah. Yeah. It is a thing, right? Several minutes on sex in this Uh, episode. Quite a few, quite a few. Yep. And it's, it's worth it. It's, it's, it's worth listening to. (laughs) Whether your marriage is in crisis, I hope mm -hmm. it's not, or whether you just wanted to improve, you know, um, have a listen to today's free therapy. episode. We got free, free therapy, therapy today for on you. the podcast today. <laughs> Here is Ed and Nicole on Capital Stories. Enjoy. Welcome to Capital Stories. My name is Kelly Preston, and I am an associate pastor here at Capital Church. And I have the privilege of interviewing two of our recommended counselors today, Nicole Vobora and Ed Peterson. And Nicole, you are at the Christian Center of Park City. And Ed, you are at the EFT clinic here in Salt Lake. And so I'd love for each of you to just tell us how you got started in this line of work. I am actually pretty new to counseling. I got a degree in psychology when I was 20, in my early 20s, and then chose to be a stay-at-home mom. And I stayed home with my kids for about 20 years, homeschooled my kids. And then some revelations came out about my marriage. I was married for 23 years. We had got married in the church, had a pretty strong faith. We you know, were regular church attenders. Faith was an important part of our marriage. But some things came out, and there was some incidents, and we sought counseling. And so for me, I have a lot of experience even as being in marriage counseling, both pastoral counseling and with a marriage counselor. And it ended up that our marriage wasn't salvageable. There was incidents of emotional abuse as well as an inability for repentance on my partner's side. So we did end up getting um, a divorce and went through divorce care, which was a really important part of my healing. And at that point, I decided I needed to figure out what I was going to do with my life in my 40s. And, you know, I felt I prayed a lot about it, and I felt God calling me to use my journey and my experience to save marriages for Him. Because I, going through a divorce, it was one of the hardest and most challenging things, not only for me, but for my children. And I know why God hates divorce. Having said that, I also know that people go through the divorce, even in the church, and we often feel shame 
And I want to come alongside those people as well and be with them and help them as well. But my calling is to save marriages. And so I decided to go back to school and get my degree in marriage and family therapy. And that's what I've been doing for the last year. And I'm continuing to grow in my practice. And I am excited to work for his kingdom in that way. That's beautiful. Thank you, Nicole, for sharing that. Because I think so often our some of our callings and our passions can come from what we've been through and what we see. And I love that you have also been on the other side of counseling as yes. well. And so I'm excited to hear more in a few minutes. My name is Ed. I've been in the field of therapy for 20 years now. And I spent my early years working at a drug and alcohol rehab center down in Orem, Utah, called the Cirque Lodge, which is a wonderful, wonderful place. And so I got trained in addiction work, but a lot of family work too, because we would work with families of the patients and the residents. And that's where I really caught the bug for family work, but especially couples work. And then I've been in my private practice now for almost nine years. And my wife and I share a practice called Peterson Family Therapy. And we also work at the EFT Clinic in Salt Lake. But my quick story is this. I grew up LDS in uh, Boston and then in Utah. I always was questioning everything about my faith, but was still, I was always drawn to God and always drawn to Jesus, but always struggled with doctrines and and theology, which, you know, that hasn't stopped for me. I still am a critical thinker. But Grew up, then went on an LDS mission to Guatemala, which was a wonderful experience. Fast forward a few years later after college, got married in the Mormon church. And that marriage lasted six years and ended with divorce. And I was the one that finally left. And I guess the main thing that for this that's probably relevant is just that that marriage became toxic in lots of ways both of us and we tried and we did marriage counseling and we did a lot of things and we ended up in divorce i had at the time a three-year-old daughter from that relationship it was really hard getting divorced i remember getting like the even comments from people like you know you're leaving your family how could you do this you're going to be a deadbeat dad like i mean that stuff was sad which was really hurtful and i knew that i would be a good dad. And I really focused on that. So one thing I think I really focused on for a number of years. And then I met my, my wife, Candace, who's amazing. She's also a therapist at the EFT clinic. And after getting married, we both were looking for a church because she had grown up somewhat with some spirituality. I had actually moved away from the Mormon church, although it's my culture. and I love the Mormons and the Mormon church. I had moved away uh, from that church for a f- number of reasons. And then we found a non-denominational church here in, in Salt Lake. I came came to Christ uh, the next year. This has been like 20, maybe 19, 17, 18 years ago. And, but here, here's the thing. So the quick story on my career was that I was in, after college, I went into business and I worked in marketing and sales for about 15 years and was really chasing money. And I was pretty good at it, but I, it was never satisfying for my soul perspective. And so I went back to school at about 32 or 35, got my counseling and social work degree, and then moved into what I'm doing now. And so I do have, like you said, Nicole, the perspective of both going through a divorce and then having a a lovely 
you know, now 20 year marriage with my wife, Candace, but we have gone through our rough spots and we've had to do our therapy. So I feel like I, I can relate to most anybody because um, I've been there. And the last thing is that we could just a little tidbit is that the biggest struggle that, I, that I've had personally is clinical depression. And that has, I've struggled with that since I was 17 on and off. And that really was partly why I became a therapist was trying to figure out how to, how to work through that. So that's, that's me. Thank you, Ed. I'm glad you shared that, all of that, your experiences. And then thank you also for sharing about going through depression and experiencing that. I think a lot of people listening are going to be able to relate to that specifically. It is something that people deal with and it's real and it it can be tricky for couples to navigate. And it also has an element of shame. And so you brought up some very important points. So thank you both for sharing your stories. I want to thank you both for your time today, for coming and doing this interview with us. And I want to thank you for what you do every day. So you're making a difference in couples all over our community. And we appreciate what you do. And we appreciate both of you. So thank you for being here. I'd like to ask you guys to each talk a little bit about the scope of your practices. And I'm sure you've seen just about everything or probably everything by this point, especially emerging out of a pandemic. But what are some of the typical conversations you have with folks that come in for marriage counseling? And maybe this you you even have some statistics on marriage or you see patterns that people come in with and maybe it's a reoccurring issue that you could touch on maybe one or two of those things for us for me i do see a lot of couples coming in in crisis and a lot of what i see is these people they got together and they love each other and these opposites attract sort of thing. And we, we really love that. We think that balances us. And then as we get into a few years of marriage, all of a sudden we're like, wait, that's not what I signed up for. And so we get a lot of these kind of perpetual problems. You know, a lot of the way I, my theoretical approach is, is Gottman trained in CBT. And so we're looking at these problems that are perpetual problems. They're not going to go away. They're part of the core personality of that person. So how do we find that compromise and that middle ground while still accepting the core value of that who that person is? And sometimes we get into these negative circular patterns of all of a sudden we're reviewing our spouse in a negative way. And it's a really easy pattern to get stuck in and a really hard to get out of. And so a lot of the work I do, especially with my Christian couples that come in, is to kind of refocus on these maybe unrealistic expectations they might have for their spouse. They're expecting their spouse to kind of fulfill all their needs when we know from that Christian basis that God's really supposed to be part of that, and God's supposed to be the one fulfilling a lot of those needs. When we think about that three-braided cord, God is supposed to be that center. So refocusing sometimes on this expectation that my spouse is supposed to fill all my needs And if they're not, then maybe they're not the right person for me. Trying to refocus back to creating more positive regard. And then also, how are we getting our needs met by God versus our spouse? A lot of other couples I see in another calling I feel I have, just because I recently got remarried and am in the process of blending a family, the challenges of that, blending of families with especially complicated families where you're both bringing in children, 
creates a lot of distress within the family. Many times you have these expectations, I'm going to love my stepchildren right away. It's usually not the case. It's great if it is, but you are blending different parenting styles, different family history, different roles. So that's another area I, I really enjoy working with and see a lot in my office. Those are kind of some of the highlights. I do see a lot of, unfortunately, affairs, both actual physical affairs, but I'm seeing definitely a lot of more emotional affairs and pornography use is creating a lot of distress for married couples. And I definitely see a lot of that coming in and the hurt and the pain that's involved in that. I practice a type of therapy called emotionally focused therapy, EFT. One thing I love about it is that it's a type of therapy that pulls from everything. It pulls from cognitive behavioral therapy. It's very behavioral also. But this idea that I'll hit briefly is that our basis is what we call attachment theory or It's just that we look at things from the lens of attachment. And all that really means is that all of us, when we grow up from infancy, usually through when we get married, you know, but especially in those early years, zero to about 12 or 14, we all learn certain patterns of dealing with stress and dealing with emotion. And it's a lot of, you know, there is something that we're born, a lot of people are born a certain way. A lot of people are, you can tell that babies are more a little withdrawn and more avoidant and more I'm um, just quiet and then some babies are you know just loud and just needing this and that but so much is learned by what we see and experience from our key adult figures parents older siblings and the question that I always ask I'm sure that you do too Nicole is like when you were a kid how what was modeled for you how did people do emotion if dad or mom were angry would they show it would they not did they have addiction How did they handle things like anger, sadness, jealousy, rage, or no joy, joy and and appreciation? And because what we see is that there's just so much kind of an epidemic in this country in the last hundred years, probably around the world, is that people aren't taught very well how to do emotion and how to love each other. And the key that I would say is how to have presence in the moment with their loved one. And this then bleeds over into marriage because marriage, like Nicole said, usually is this thing where you meet somebody and you're in this honeymoon phase and the hormones are raging and it's so exciting and you feel like you're completed. And then at some point, boom, the honeymoon's gone. You see your husband's dirty socks on the floor. It bugs you so much. And you listen to your wife and how she does something and it just starts to bother you, right? And and that's when a lot of people start really questioning, is this the right person for me? And like Nicole said, what we work on is when, when couples show up is trying to, from a strength-based position, look at, okay, well, what is working in your marriage? Like, when do you feel close? When is there a connection? Again, these words, you know, connection... And this is what I would say to any of you listening to this, is if you want to make a dent, make a positive change in your marriage, just in your life today, one great way to do it is just slow down with the people you're talking to. Just slow down with your spouse and have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or just talk, turn off the TV. And just, it's those moments of connection where, you know, for my wife, when she knows I'm listening to her, I know that she's listening to me. 
See, and that's when, because you see, the, the speed of emotion and the speed of connection is slow. But we get so fast in our lives, we're all so busy, and then we come home and, how's your day? Oh, great, how's your day? Great. Hey, what, what are we going to do? You know, we need to come home and, like, I need to grab my wife and look at her and say hi and breathe and say, how's your day? And then listen, right, and listen. Again, the, the attachment work is what brings it all together to me. Because again, even if you're depressed or if you're super anxious, part of it is that you don't, you're not connecting probably with Jesus as much as you could. Because what does he tell us? He's, t- he's always telling us, fear not. And what did he do all the time? He hung out with people. He sat with people. He was not living the fast-paced life that we live. And so I'm always, personally, and also with couples, especially believers, you got to tap into that because Jesus is just right there, like right now, just waiting for you to open that door, you know? And, and sometimes we're, we're, we're really bad at it. We, we just came off of a weekend where the focus of our teaching was not the prodigal son, but the prodigal father. And how when we turn towards God, he actually runs to us. This isn't, he doesn't have to think about it. He doesn't hesitate. I kind of grew up with the image of like a a parent behind the newspaper. They would get to you when that was time. (laughs) And it's not like that. He's not in his lazy boy chair, you know, like, oh, don't disturb. He's like, I am here. I am I'm running to you. <laughs> to piggyback off a little bit of what Ed was saying, like, I love that question. And it is one I use with my, you know, how were you comforted as a child? Like, what did that look like for you? Because so many of us have these maybe avoidant. I know I identify as, I say, I like to say I'm a recovering avoidant because that's, you know, that was my experience. And I had great parents. That's not anything against my parents, but it's what I learned. And so I think that's so important. And also his point about this daily connection. I mean, that's my first step with every couple. Create a daily 15, 30-minute connection time that you guys sit down and share three positives of your day, especially one about your spouse. Notice, what is something positive your spouse did for you today? Maybe it's as simple as, you know, they folded the laundry or they sent you a text. I mean, it's rebuilding that positive regard. And also share a challenge. Share a challenge in a way that we're not confrontational about it, but what was a challenge you faced? And that's a great way for them to connect But I also encourage is this is a great time to bring Jesus into that. This is a great time to share a devotional. This is a great time. As couples, I think we so often don't pray together and pray for each other. And what a great connection to sit together and take time to pray for each other in that moment after we've heard those challenges and say, how can I help you? Well, and I want to say one thing about that because that's brilliant. And one of the assignments that I give my couples is I have them on their phones. If they're people who take notes on their phone, or if they're a journal person that every day, what I say is I want you to catch your partner doing something that you love or catch your partner doing something that makes you feel close to them. And then, and then speak it, speak it out loud because we're all so quick to speak about the things that are bothering us. And the problems, but every because think about it. Even right here, okay, we're slowing our, we're, we're slowing this down. We're looking at each other. We're thinking, right? There's a, there's a chemical connection right here, right? This is, and we're trying to model that with clients. That's why you'll hear me 
slow down my speech, right? Mm -hmm. But I love the part about the praying too. I mean, I have been in so many sessions where, you know, the negative cycle is going back and forth. It's, well, you did this. Yeah, but you didn't understand me. And I don't feel un un understood either. And you don't, you know, you don't really love God. Well, all you ever do is criticize me, right? It's going back and forth. And in that moment, right, if we can stop them and just say, oh, whoa, 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 let's slow this down and let's, so let's see what Jesus has to say about this. And, and let's pray. And I ask them to pray for each other in session. And the thing is, it's really hard to be focusing on the angry stuff when you're praying for your partner. And that doesn't mean that we're going to skip over and pretend that the angry stuff isn't there. But if we do it, again, in the frame of spirituality, in the frame of Jesus is here, right? Like, why not tap into him? Like, that just maybe, right? Maybe. Like, if the Holy Spirit wants to walk, if the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit wants to walk around with us all day, maybe we should be open to that. How would you encourage or like coach a couple? Prayer is intimate. And I take it for granted sometimes when somebody will share with me, I am so uncomfortable praying out loud, or I'm uncomfortable praying with my partner. How do you coach couples to pray together when you encourage that connection time? I think for me, and this is coming from a person that does have a hard time praying out loud, it's not my gift. And so I do struggle with that. But it's understanding that part of marriage is having a transparency and a vulnerability with your partner. You can't grow in your marriage. You can't strengthen your marriage unless you're willing to be vulnerable. And this is the most vulnerable way you can do that. And so, yes, it is sometimes hard for us to open ourselves up, but the fear there, it really is coming from that vulnerability. If I open up like this, am I going to be accepted and loved by my partner? Are they going to see me? And so, if we want to grow our marriage, we really have to work at this transparency with them. And as a recovering avoidant, this is a really hard thing to do because I'm a suppressor. We, we suppress our emotions. And so being, encouraging them, this is a first step into recovery. This is a first step into vulnerability, not only with your spouse, but with Jesus. And then you're inviting him into this weakness. And I think that if we can reframe that in a way that this is a way of connection versus judgment, because that's really where that fear comes from, right? We're fear we're being judged. This is connection instead. I'm, I love that phrase. I'm a recovering pursuer. I'm, you know, I, I have an anxious attachment style, me, meaning that I generally, if there's conflict, I want to come forward. I want to talk about it. And I want to talk about it now. And I want you to tell me your feelings right now. And no, we're not going to talk about this in an hour. We're talking about it, right? So from that anxious attachment position, right, I've had to learn to listen more, talk less. And because then my wife, you know, she'll open up. And so when I, you know, slow down and open up and get over myself, suddenly my wife is talking and we're connecting. And right. So that's my work. It's not uh, gender based either. So uh, male or female, you can be per the pursuant or the avoider, right? Can you guys just very briefly explain the difference between 
avoiding and pursuing. I know we know those words, <laughs> okay? but just you both have touched on this and it's such an important point to, to how can we recognize which one we are in the relationship? I'll start. I, there's a great book, How We Love by, I think it's Yurkovich. Yeah. yeah. Great Christian book that talks a lot about your attachment styles and they, they will go into, and I really recommend that book. But as an avoidant, avoidant means I kind of learned growing up that we didn't really talk about our feelings. We didn't talk about our emotions. I always use like the analogy I, I heard, pull up your big girl panties and move on with life. Like we don't, we don't talk about it. So any kind of emotions we just kind of suppress and we, we, push them down. And what happens when we do that is it's not that we forget those emotions. It's not that they go away. It just builds resentment. And we get more and more resentful and really unfair to our spouse or partner because they have no idea what's going on. They have no idea that you're upset about anything until all of a sudden we may have this explosion and it just we just vomit out all this stuff. And they're like, whoa, I didn't even know what was going on. So an avoidant will tend to just suppress. They'll withdraw. They'll avoid conflict, go along with things. And the problem is then it's, it's not fixing anything. It's just creating all this resentment and tension that eventually comes out. And maybe you can talk a little bit more yeah. about their... Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. And for me, with more of an anxious attachment style, which was which came out of a childhood where I was the youngest and people were talking about emotions a lot, but I always was felt like I was out of the game because I was four years younger and I was always trying to get... Will someone play Monopoly with me? Can I talk about this? Or I'll go achieve at school and look at my report card, dad, right? So this sense of like, I got to come forward. I got to be seen. And I've got so many words and so many things to talk. Like when my wife and I talk about, you know, our marriage and we say, how many things do you want to talk about? Well, she'll have two things and I'll have 12, right? And so, you know. So Thank you in, for saying that, by the way. <laughs> and so in the... You're can, not can, alone. Can you, can you, I think that Kelly can relate over that. I can relate. It's just that here's the thing, right? Is that being that for sure, because I want you to see me, right? And and what's and what she's feeling is, well, who's seeing me, right? And so this is what we help couples to see is that if I'm, if I can grow in my empathy to understand her, try to understand the world of a withdrawer, the world of an avoidant. And if the avoidant person can try to understand the world of an anxious pursuer, right? Because then, because both of us will have shame. Shame comes in for the for, for the pursuer because I'm pursuing and I'm talking so much and I think I'm making it worse and, oh, I feel so shameful, right? But the, the avoidant sometimes feels like they're just, they can't get it right and they're, they're stuck and not doing enough, right? So, yeah. Yeah, and so you know, for if you're a couple out, out there and you're struggling, just remember that you're not alone. That most of us struggle, and that just because you may have this avoidant and anxious thing happening, it's it's super normal and it's very workable. It's very workable, especially if you bring Jesus into it. Because here's the thing that I will say that I I do believe is that the enemy is right there, and we are living. You know, John. Eldridge says, you know, we were born into a war. And I believe that. I believe that the powers of evil are trying every day to get us to feel resentful, to get us to criticize, to get us to stonewall. And we have to be aware of that as Christians, that because to not do that is naive. You know? And so, and again, but the power of Jesus is a bazillion times stronger, but 
we have to take a step toward him. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that clarity, both of you, because I think sometimes it can be, it can be, you can feel stuck and stalled in your marriage relationship and not if you can identify and, and, you know, something more specific, it is helpful. Like, okay, can take note. I, this leads us into our next uh, question. I'm wondering if there are some practical things that couples can do to assess their relationship. So people will be tuning in because they're in need and some will be tuning in because they tune in and they love the, they love the capital stories, but how can a couple assess their relationship? You know, I grew up with an era where the, we were as women, we were taught we were the thermometer of the relationship, which I thought was a little bit funny when I got married, because I think my husband and I have shared that, (laughs) you know, we've both been able to kind of indicate, there's a flag going up. We need help. So what's, what are a few ways that they can assess their relationship? How, how do you know if you need professional help? Maybe one or two non-threatening ways a couple can discuss how their relationship is going. How can they make that safe for one another to, to discuss it? And, you know, if maybe that's after they've eaten, I don't know, but like, is there (laughs) maybe just some practical ways there? Yeah. So what, as I think of that, I think that this kind of goes back to what we referenced before, like these daily slowing down, these daily check-ins, I think are so essential because this becomes almost a ritual. So it's not like, it creates a safe space as far as this isn't a confrontational time. This is a time to check in with each other. How are you doing today? And this isn't, you know, how was your day at work? How was, you know, the kids, but also how are we doing today? What areas did we struggle at today? Or what areas were good today? How did I feel loved today? Or how did I feel unloved or unvalued today? And if we create this ritual, it doesn't become so confrontational, like, oh, we're going to attack this because I'm feeling resentful right now. It becomes more of a ritual. And and whatever that ritual thing looks like for you, I think it's really important to kind of create this ritual. Maybe it's morning coffee together every day. Maybe it's you get home from work and we have a glass of wine and spend 15 minutes reconnecting. But I think that's a great way to let's let's ask each other, where is our relationship at? And also, how are you prioritizing a relationship? And I know with a lot of my clients, with especially when we have young kids, we have activities, we have all of this, it becomes very easy to prioritize our kids over our marriage. And this is a really bad trap to fall into, right? I mean, we have God, then we're marriage should be second. And I think, and I am stereotyping a little bit, but women and moms tend to fall in this trap a little bit more of prioritizing care of their children. And that's all important. But if you're not prioritizing marriage first, that trickles down to the whole family. And so really women need to find that time to connect with their spouse and prioritize that. And I know they have to get creative and maybe this means, you know, we connect over a Zoom call at lunch, a nap time with the kids or it's when they go to bed or it's get up a half an hour early to have coffee together. But I think it's such an essential part of maintaining that connection and it's a great way to check in on your relationship. I'm also a big advocate of a weekly date night or state of a union or whatever you want to call it, a weekly, let's come back together. What went well this week? What didn't go well this week? How can we tweak that? How can we make it better? What are our goals for our next week? 
And this is like a weekly, you know, and I would advocate for it being a date night, but, you know, be creative again. I know lots of young kids, finances, these all get in the way, but there's creative ways to still create this space to say, we need to be weekly checking in and seeing where we're at. And if you're in doubt, that's when you seek out counseling. If we're, if I don't feel safe speaking to my spouse about some of these things, if this doesn't feel like a safe space and I'm not feeling heard, this may be a great time to reach out to a counselor. I'm also a big advocate, and I love the couples that come in that aren't in crisis. And they're just like, you know what? We want to check in and just strengthen. We want to learn some new skills. We want to make sure we're on the right track. I'm an advocate for checking in once a year with a counselor. Do a couple sessions. See where we're at. Maybe we can learn some new skills. I just want to stay on track and keep us strengthened. One way that I like to think about this, if you're trying to assess if you need help or if your marriage, where it's going, I like to go by the same rule as clinical diagnosis goes, and that is most diagnoses, if you have depression or anxiety, will say if it's consistent over a two to three or three to four week period, right? Because you think we can all have bad days, we can all have fights, we can all have this or that. What I like to think is if over a two to three, maybe to four week period, you're noticing some symptoms of poor connection, right? You're getting on each other's nerves, there's arguments, there's more conversation about what's going wrong and much less about what's going right or you just notice how you feel right you start feeling that kind of empty it can be an empty lonely feeling in the relationship or it could be a resentful lonely feeling or it's just but it's it's just that your attachment needs aren't being met like nicole said you're not sitting down having that cup of tea and connecting holding hands whatever it is right so a couple of practical things is First of all, you know, just go and seek out somebody. If you if, if you need to maybe start with a pastor or start with a, a friend at church, just talking about it, because too often people in marriage don't talk about it and they're just are suffering in silence, right? So go find somebody, talk to somebody, go to a group, you know, read some books together. And then, you know, if it's still really, really not working, yes, find a counselor. But also know that counseling is not something you have to dive into for a lifetime. Sometimes you go for a few sessions. Sometimes you go for a few months. I, my wife and I have been in counseling on and off for 20 years, right? But here's the thing, too. Daily things. If you will do these things, it's almost impossible to not have your marriage heal. So if you do these things on a daily basis, like Nicole said, some check-ins, a daily time when you get together and touching each other is important. If you can, holding hands or hugging, because that's when oxytocin and dopamine and good emotional hormones come out. You're checking in. And, and like Nicole said, find three things a day specifically that you really loved that your partner did. Not just, oh, yeah, I know you love me. But when you sent me that text and put the emoji heart on it, I really felt close to you. You see how different that is? So some kind of daily check-ins, and I'm really big on the first 15 to 30 minutes when you both come home and you're together because that sets the tone of the night or in the mornings working on that goodbye kiss that because it sends you off with better feelings. And then like was said, I've never met a couple that are consistently going on a date once a week. Even if it's just taking a long walk around the park, but some kind of date that aren't doing well. The couples that are struggling hard just don't do it. And, and I just want to 
just really touch on on sex real quick too, and that is if you're noticing a real decline in your sexual activity, you know, and some people, some couples have more frequency than others, but you'll know, you'll know if you're if it's going cold for you or if it's going cold for your partner. And again, that's the hard one because so many people will go years without asking for help, right? And you need that physical, emotional, and sexual connection. And that's another thing about being creative, right? And and not, because the enemy, all the enemy loves to get in there and get our sex lives off track. But we need to be creative, asking God, like a great question would, would, would be, okay, God, this week, what could I do to either initiate some emotional or sexual connection? What would my partner, like, if I think creatively, like, what really works for my partner when it comes to our intimate life? Thank you for bringing up sex, because I think that, again, can be a, a subject where shame can creep in. And like you said, you can go years and feel like, well, now I can't bring it up. Right. Because <laughs> this is the habit we're in, right? Well, well it, like, it, it, it like becomes the new, the new normal, right? Right. Yeah. And we're hesitant maybe for different reasons to address that with our spouse. I think there's a lot of different things that we can be thinking or believing. If you could maybe just touch on that for a couple of of minutes here, maybe what you see are the hesitations, what what are the maybe the presenting issues where people come in, they feel like, oh, I can't go there. We can talk about all these other things, but I can't go there, especially not in front of my spouse. Right. So I, now I'm making <laughs> yeah. an yeah. assumption that you have couples that come in and have this issue. Yeah, <laughs> sex is a big issue, and in and sex in in a Christian couple it can be a very big issue. And there's a lot of expectations. There's a lot of hurts. There's a lot of. It's a very complicated, and I'm going to speak a little bit more from the woman's side of it. You know, especially even young moms. I get a lot of young moms like, well, I've just been touched out all day. Like, I have these kids hanging on me, and he comes home, and he wants this, and I just, I can't. And I I totally can relate to that. And one of the things I, I emphasize for them is, let's just start small. I think, you know, Ed referenced this. Just a sensate focus, just a holding of a hand, just a sitting closer together while we watch a show. Just when I walk past my husband, I put my hand on his back. These can be such important connections, not only for our spouse to feel, but they also reignite something in us, reignite this connection of this sense eight focuses on a sexual touch without it being sexual mm-hmm. kind of take out for women sometimes they feel a lot of pressure especially when they have young kids that this is something i'm supposed to do and then it becomes an obligation instead of a pleasure instead of god's gift and so can we refocus on the pleasurable aspects of it can we like you said so many times we just need to slow it down we just we don't want it to be a box we're checking to make our husband happy or and vice versa. I'm not yeah. j- trying to stereotype. It does go both ways. Just slow it down and just what is a connection, an intimate sexual connection? Maybe it doesn't involve sex, but it's still recreating that connection. And also just as a recommendation, I have another great book I just read on this. Makes me want to see if I can get the name right. The Great Sex Rescue. Mm, yeah great book. And it speaks really 
to a lot to women and some of the messages they've received in the church about their obligations about sex, their wifely duties. And I think it's a great book for women to kind of free themselves to experience what God's gift was for them for sex. So that's kind of my take more as a woman. but Well, and a, and a couple of books too that you've got to get to books and or you know, videos by these people. There's a woman, she's not, I don't know what her faith is. She doesn't talk about her faith, but she's a uh, professor and a researcher about sexuality. And her name is Emily Nagoski. She has a TED Talk that went viral. And she is brilliant. She understands, I mean, female sexuality, but also male. And wanna, and go and look at on YouTube at some of her stuff. And here's one thing that she shared, which I always share is she said that as one of the questions she always gets from her friends is, okay, Emily, over decades, how do the couples that maintain a healthy, active, enjoyable sex life, what, what's the secret over time, right? And she's done the research, and it's very clear that it's not excitement, it's not positions, it's, it's not lingerie, it's not any kind of one thing, right? But what she says, it's the people who have the best chance for a good sex life is they both, they value it and they set aside time for it. And here's one more thing that, that we've learned about female sex, sexuality, which men need to learn, is that it's pretty clear, and this is going to sound like I'm mansplaining here, but I'm just, as a man who's been very clueless about this, I'll just say what I think and you can tell me if I'm on <laughs> we it. We appreciate not. whatever you're about to say, <laughs> okay. so feel free. Okay. It, it's, it, it's this. If you really want to romance and help your wife, a woman, feel possibly in the mood and sexy and connected to you and maybe want to connect sexually, it's about the time. It's about slowing down. It's about giving them, you know, trying to help them, especially if they're kids, to, and it's usually like that 10 to 20 minutes of sometimes slow, sometimes non-sexual, touching, being together. Because what the research shows is that a lot of moms and women have a constant to-do list of like 10 to 20 things that are just on their mind. And when men, because we are so quick to arousal, want to jump in bed with our wives, a lot of times our wives just aren't ready yet. And then we take that as rejection. I want to highlight something on that too, and I think it's especially important for men to hear that you can touch your wife and have, you know, give her a massage or kiss her or have sexual touch without the expectation of the sex. And yes. I think so many women need to hear and feel that, that often as women, especially when we're overwhelmed and we have that to-do list, which we do, our husband comes up to us and starts touching us or kissing us and our immediately goes, oh gosh, he wants to have sex. And we immediately just pull back because like, I can't, I have and all maybe, of this. Right, and then suddenly like the, the thought comes, obligation. Yes. I have to be a good Christian wife. Oh, he wife. must need sex I right need, now. I need to, to do this for and him. And we have all these images of affairs and porn. And if we're not fulfilling his needs, then you know we're not being a good wife. And what men need to hear is they need to communicate to their wife, I just want to make out with you for five minutes and there's no expectation. I just want to give you a back rub because you look stressed and I want to be close, but there's no expectation. And what I think men will find is often they get what they want in the end, but as long as there's not that expectation, because women so many times feel like 
if he makes any sort of sexual touch to me, then I'm obligated. Right. And like, we need to break that cycle. Well, That's right. So and, it, and part of it is that in our cultures, most of our cultures growing up, men were taught that, right? Mm-hmm. Men were taught to be kind of aggressive and to make the move and try and take it as far as you can. And culture sometimes has told women that it's your responsibility to put the brakes on because men will be men, mm-hmm. right? Which is so damaging mm-hmm. and in our marriages. So I think that is both of you have been so vulnerable and practical. This is so, this is wonderful. And I think people are going to rewind and keep listening. Anyway, I, this is a little bit of a different question, but I do want to ask when you have a spouse come in for help and they are the only one in the relationship that is pursuing help, is that still considered a win? And this may not be as simple as a yes or no, and it, I'm sure it all depends, but what? how would you encourage that that spouse who's coming in for help? And it's really, it almost seems impossible that they would be in there together because of maybe whatever is going on. From my perspective, it's absolutely a win. If anybody is seeking help, then that's a win. It's obviously not the big win we want, but we, if we can come into counseling with an open heart to what is my stuff I need to work on, there's that great analogy like I need to clean up my yard before I look at my spouse's yard. And it goes back to the plank in our eye, right? There's always areas we need to clean up and we can fix in our own yard. So if we're coming to counseling and saying, my marriage is in distress right now, where's the areas I can grow? What areas can I help? What do I need to fix in my life? And then go back home and be a model of that. I mean, how often did Jesus model how we were supposed to behave? You know, speaking to the woman at the well, how are we supposed to be the change. And so we can take those things we learn and bring them home and not in a confrontational, well, I learned this in therapy and this is what you're supposed to be doing. That's not helpful. (laughs) Instead, just modeling, hey, how was your day? Or, hey, I noticed today you did this. Or trying to slow down our communication. Or attuning to our partner. What are their feelings? What are they saying? How can I model that that helps our partner slow down and see the same thing. Now, the downside of that, the not win of that, is if you're coming to counselor counseling to complain about everything your spouse is doing wrong. Well, he, she does this and this and this, and how do I fix him or her? That's not a win because, you know, you can't change another person. The win is if I'm coming to counseling because there's things I want to work on, there's things, areas I want to improve. How can I learn better communication skills? How can I learn better conflict? How can I understand my own attachment better? That to me is a win. Yeah, if you're just coming, which to be honest sometimes happens a lot, if you're just coming to complain about your your partner, that's not really going to change anything. Right. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Yes. And it's so common that one person is ready and wanting uh, therapy or counseling and the other person isn't. And and so what I say to the the person that comes in is come in, like you're saying, work on yourself and let's pray and let's get Jesus to do a work in your heart that will help you to focus on yourself and then pray for your partner and, you know, maybe get your partner to just say, well, you just talk to the therapist on the phone. 
and just, you know, talk, talk to Ed or talk to Nicole and let them tell you a little bit about what therapy is about. Because we're happy to have, you know, five to fit 10 minute conversations with people if they want to talk and be, before they come in. And just realizing that, yeah, you need to, like you said, need to work on yourself. And that's, and that's always where Jesus will come in. He will never encourage you to focus on what the other person's doing. You know, that's the old serenity prayer. You know, God grant us the serenity to accept the things we can't change. Well, that's the other person. And, you know, and, and, to, and to look at what I can change, which, which is me. Mm-hmm. Well said. What's a, what's a creative date that you've either done or you've heard about another couple doing that's, um, you know, maybe not going to break the bank? <laughs> I actually got, for a Christmas gift from my son, Adventure Challenges for Couples. And I absolutely love this book. Is that a book? It yes. Does. You've adventure. done this book. It's an, I absolutely love this book. And you go through and it tells you, like, we actually just last weekend did the college student night. And I don't want to ruin things for if people buy the book because it's supposed to be a surprise. But we spent less than five bucks, didn't go out of the house. And had such a great time. And we got a little Polaroid camera, took a little snapshot, put it in our book. We are having so much fun with this because it's it's pushing us outside of our, oh, let's go to a movie or dinner. Like Those are great. Nothing wrong with those. But it's fun to try something new and do something different and go outside that box. Do something. Act like you were in your 20s and, you know, what college and, and finding them. So I am a big advocate of that book. I think it's a great, um, fun way to do things and just try new things. Yeah. I love that I would book. agree. I mean, yeah, and I always tell people, think back to when you first met, what would you do on dates those early years? My wife and I bought a couple of nice bicycles and we're starting to bike together because she loves that. For me, it was like, I don't know, biking? Yeah. But she loves it, and now I'm loving it too. We're having a good time with that, and it's you know you you buy the bike, but then it's free whenever you go ride, right? And we go hiking. Oh my gosh, we hike a lot. We hiked this morning. We hiked up to the H Rock, and it's great. We're holding hands. It's perfect, right? Free. Going to the Dollar Movie together, picking a different restaurant. Let's let's pick every week or twice a month a different restaurant. Getting creative. Getting creative in the bedroom. Getting creative. Just you gotta, you gotta get, you know, you gotta use that, and and everybody has it. You just we've gotten out of the habit of doing it. So. Why do we get out of the habit? We get comfortable. I use, a, I love to use this analogy with a lot of my couples that get stuck in negative cycles. We are like those Egyptians, right? That were in slavery, and God said, "Here, I'm going to take you to the promised land." And I'm going to provide for you. And then they started going. And then all of a sudden they were like, no, no, we want to go back. Even though the slavery was horrible and they were beaten and treated horribly, they, but they knew that. That was comfortable. And so often we get in that same cycle that we're like, we're so afraid of pushing outside that comfort zone that we're willing to stay in things that aren't good. And in our marriage, we're willing to stay with comfortable when it's not great, and God wants great for us. So we have to push ourselves outside that comfort zone. We have to push past, this is comfortable, this is easy, and then you lose that excitement. So that's my thing. Just push through that. Give yourself the opportunity to 
explore each other more. I mean, the longer you've been married, you think, oh, I know everything about my spouse. And you fall in these routines. But there's always, like you just said, like Ed said, I didn't think biking would be something I'd want to do. Hey, but I pushed and now I love biking. So, you know, try it. Maybe you'll hate it, but you'll have a great story. <laughs> you will have right. a memory yes. to share. You have to a laugh, story. To cry, like right. A- right. And there's something too, like whoever is the more like goofy, funny person who doesn't mind kind of pushing the envelope, just, you know, get, try to encourage your spouse to go do funny things. Oh, you guys have given us so many practical items here. I mean, just, you know, with, how can we refresh our relationship? How can we stay healthy? How can we assess our relationship? How can we make it safe for one another? And I appreciate this ongoing theme of connection. And that can happen in so many different ways. I would love to end on this note of when a couple comes in and maybe both of them or one of them says, I'm done. Like this is, you know, this is the last stop. They come in and it's crisis mode. And that's, you you mentioned, Nicole, too, that that's what you've been seeing a pattern of is crisis. I think, unfortunately, that's sometimes when we end up going to the doctor when we have all these symptoms, we're in so much pain, we're not sleeping, and now we're miserable. So now we're going to the doctor. So similar in our marriages, it's like, this is the last ditch effort. We have one foot out the door. So you mentioned recently to me, Ed, that, you find hope in that statement when one of the partners says, I'm done. So can you explain that a little bit? Because I wouldn't think that Uh that would be very hopeful to hear. (laughs) Well, yeah, especially because I think we do. I think that Nicole and I would agree that the majority of people that we see are in real crisis because they finally don't come to therapy sometimes until that point. So we get a lot of people who are right on that edge. They're ready for divorce. They're sometimes they're coming to therapy to just get permission, you know, to think, to explain how bad it is. And Ed, don't you think that we're incompatible? And, you know, I never bite, go for that hook because here's the thing. They're coming to therapy. They're spending their money, their resources. They're both taking time to do that. Okay. There's something going on here that's positive. And one of the ways that I started out that sometimes really frustrates these clients is I say, you know, they'll, they'll the first five minutes want to just spill all the things that are going so wrong. And I'll just stop them and say, yeah, I get it. Like you're, you're at that place, right? You're, you're right on the edge, right? You're, you validate that, like, of course. But then I'll say, okay, we're going to talk. I want you to take a second and tell me about when you first met. You may not want to, but tell me about that first date. What was, you know, and the person like, well, I, no, cause I'm really frustrated. I don't want, you know, I'm like, and then, cause we're in charge of our room. We get to say, right. And so it's like, it's like, tell me about that first date. Tell me about when you're first attracted to her. Tell me about what she was wearing. Tell me about the first date. And then the same thing for him. And then tell me about a time when you were connecting, you know, and people very often will, their minds will go back and suddenly they're actually feeling it. it just, and this doesn't always, always happen fast, but a lot of times they'll start feeling it and then suddenly they look over each other and I'll say something like, I know you said that you're done, but isn't it, doesn't it kind of feel good to, to hear him talking about how attractive you were then? And, he's, and I'll say, you're still attracted to her now, even though you think you might be done, you gotta admit, John, that 
you're still attracted to her, right? And usually they're like, yeah, right? So, oh, yeah, I mean, and, I, and the last thing I'll say is a lot of times when, when they say they're done, what I say is, yes, let's be done with the marriage you have. And let's, help, let's in, in, enlist Jesus and get you a new one. I love those ideas, and, I, and I've used this too. I, love, I tell them that's my favorite part of our initial assessment is, tell me how you guys met. I love hearing those stories. I love hearing the emotions come up. Another thing I like to sometimes do if they're really in distress is to create, like, let's create a relationship timeline. And tell me the highlights. Tell me when things were really good. Like, we can put the, the bad times down there, too. You know, there's the ups and downs. There's the ebbs and flows. And where were these high times? What was going good? Where was your communication at? Where was your intimacy at? Let's focus on those because there was times that you did really, really well. And so that's a great way. I also like to make them commit to say, okay, I understand, especially if divorce has been brought up. Like that's a great question I usually always ask. Is divorce on the table? Have one of you or both of you brought up divorce or threatened divorce? Let's commit to four, eight sessions where we're going to put that away and we're going to say, I'm going to give my full effort and we're going to work from here and see, can we commit to just saying, I'm going to give it two months at least. Isn't your marriage worth that? Isn't this covenant you made worth that? And let's focus on that. So those are some things, but things that's Well, yeah, and I do that too, and, and a great a line that I learned, it's not my line, but I learned this, was to say to these couples in that place, so I know you're done, but here's the thing. If you were to divorce, because you know you, you all talk, talked about it, wouldn't you agree that you would want to go into that with no regrets? Like, don't you think down the road, especially if you have kids, because your kids will ask you, mom and dad, why did you divorce? I think you would want to be able to tell them that we did everything we could. Right. And so, yeah, would even two or three sessions of therapy. See, and we're usually talking to the person who's more done. There's usually one person who's more done and they sometimes don't want to hear it. They're like, no, 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 I can't handle this anymore. And what I tell them is I say, but here's the thing. You can kind of relax into that because leaving and divorcing is something you can always do. At any time you can come in here and say, Ed, no more. And just, we're done. And that is a valid thing to do. And it's, you're free. You're free to do that. But what about, like Nicole said, giving this, you know, how long have you been married? 10 years? Giving it two or three months and spending however much money that would be. And then see what happens, right? Have you seen couples that probably would have gotten divorced? Have you seen them transformed through Christ's power. I mean, is that normal? Is that does that happen? Like I I think we need to hear if it does, mm -hmm. honestly. <laughs> yes. And I'm the newbie and only been doing this about a year, but I do have several examples that come to mind that absolutely I've seen a huge transformation in their marriage, in even how they look at each other. It's so it's so in can't think of the word, but for a couple to come in that, that first session, they sit on my couch and they're at opposite ends, leaning away from each other. And to get to the end and they're sitting right next to each other and they have their hand on each other and they're looking at each other when they talk. That's so 
beautiful. You guys are amazing. We, I am so thankful to be able to just sit here with you and I'm encouraged for my marriage. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having <laughs> oh, me. Thank I've you enjoyed so this. Much. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed and got a lot of value out of that free therapy today. And you can put some of those practical tips and tools into place right away. If you are in a situation um, with your spouse where you maybe today's episode, you realize, you know, it really would help us to talk to somebody. uh, We encourage you to do so. We'll put a link in our show notes with information on the counselors that you heard today and others that we have vetted and trust for you to go and talk to. Um, Thank you again for listening. We'd love to share your story. You can let us know about it at capitalstories.com. And if you would give us a rating and don't forget to press subscribe so you can be alerted every time we drop a new episode. Thanks again.